Welcome to the Unblocking Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of rambling wrecks. Welcome back to episode number 51 of Unblocking Crypto. Hal, thanks for joining again. This week, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the themes of 2023, what we see is going to happen in the crypto space. But before we jump into that, there's a couple of interesting things that have happened in the past week. So let's talk a little bit about that. The first one being Genesis filing for bankruptcy. Some pretty big news. Holy cow. I think the the latest figures I saw, and for those of you that aren't aware of Genesis, Genesis is part of the DCG, the digital currency group that is, has a bunch of different companies underneath it. One of which is Gemini, which is what the Winklevoss twins, the exchange they own. The other big one is the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. So there is a lot of different crypto companies that are a part of this. And the liabilities said they have a range somewhere between 1.2 and 11 billion dollars so i'm not really sure why there's such a big spread in 100,000 creditors so a lot more to kind of unfold there but this is in the wake of voyager and celsius and BlockFi and all those guys too so some pretty big news from that front yeah and i'm curious to see how this goes because gemini to me is like uh it's up there with like kraken and coinbase as far as well-run exchanges that don't play a lot of games and don't kind of get sucked into the yield farming stuff that and then leverage stuff that brings down these companies so that's i'm curious to see how gemini does as a business unit under this and the same goes for the the grayscale bitcoin trust which has been run like very tightly you know it's a it's a closed ended trust so it's a lot, I mean, basically the Bitcoin that's in there is in there. It can't come out. They do a 2% maintenance fee. And I mean, a lot of people and a lot of people that don't want to buy and custody Bitcoin and do things in like the, the new Bitcoin way, they just want to go on to TD Ameritrade and buy Bitcoin exposure. They'll go get it through that GBTC and the values there, like they have the Bitcoin. So I'm curious to see what happens with those two pieces of this as uh, as as kind of this Genesis thing seems to fall apart because they're not, th- this doesn't feel like FTX, which was a house of cards that had no assets uh, or Luna UST that fell apart because they just kept stacking, you know, kind of useless stuff on top of useless stuff. Uh, I'm curious to wait and see what happens with the Gemini and the, and the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust part of this. Yeah, especially since... I mean, this has to do do still with three years capital. Genesis had a billion dollar liability from that collapse that DCG already took over. So I guess the question is how much of this can DCG absorb before they have to do something drastic, which involves the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust or, or Gemini or whatever it's going to be. Right. So there's a lot of question marks still to remain. I mean, shoot, we're still, we haven't figured out what's going to go on Voyager. I mean, the boat's supposed to happen here in a few weeks. Celsius is... There's still some claim, some weeks left from, from the claims perspective and BlockFi, there's still a bunch of question marks there too, right? So none of this is happening very quickly. And if even if you look at the Mt. Gox stuff that happened years ago, those coins aren't even set to release until later this year. And that continually gets pushed back. So this right. is not a fast per, a fast process at all. Yeah. But, uh, and that's and that's true. Like with, uh, with BlockFi, I thought BlockFi wasn't. I thought they were run pretty soundly. I didn't think they were in that FTX kind of mindset, but I think what happened to them, I think they had some exposure on the UST Luna side and they got in trouble and then they got a bailout from FTX. The reason that I liked BlockFi is they custodied 
customer assets with fidelity. And then when FTX bailed them out without letting people know, or at least I didn't, I wasn't aware of it and I couldn't find it in an email or anything else. They then custodied assets with FTX as part of that bailout deal. And so when everything crashed, because I was like, well, yeah, if the company goes down, it'll be a slow crawl and I'll get my money out and things like that. And when Luna UST crashed, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to pull my Bitcoin out and I'll let these other kind of joke coins that I've accumulated just kind of keep earning Bitcoin. And then I get an email that's like, withdrawals are stopped. I'm like, okay. So I guess BlockFi is one of those just in the same group as everybody else. Playing the same stupid games, you know, winning the same stupid prizes. When are these guys going to learn? And four years from now, I'll probably do it again. Yeah, history has a way of repeating itself for sure. So some positive news, kind of switching subjects a little bit. El Salvador just repaid an 800 million dollar bond uh three three days ago something like that two days ago mm -hmm. which if you would have paid attention to the news when they took this out i don't think anybody ever thought they were going to repay it because they had made such a huge purchase on bitcoin and they thought that that country was going downhill and they pretty much came out and said they paid it what's amazing is for all the naysayers not a single positive article came out saying they repaid it at all and they're still continuing to buy bitcoin and things are going well so frustrating that the new york times will report one way but not say anything on the other way but it is what it is unfortunately yeah i mean if you're not on twitter following the right people that doesn't even hit your radar at all yeah like even bukele the president he was like everybody's silent so i'll i'll talk about it <laughs> it's like, because if I don't, nobody's going to say anything. But yeah, I saw something where you know, El Salvador, yeah, they bought Bitcoin as it was going up. And I don't know if it was in the 30s or 40s or whatever. But so their Bitcoin, their US dollar equivalent Bitcoin value is down. But it spurred so much tourism and other things that it's a net gain for them, even though the big price of Bitcoin's down. Like, and they're, they're in the tens of millions saved on, by not using Western Union, but using like Lightning Wallet to, uh, to get money from other countries into family members in the country. So they're, you know, it is working. It's just, I mean, guess what? It's, it's a huge deal. So it's going to be slow. Yeah. I, like I know it's not everybody in El Salvador is using Bitcoin all the time and not everybody accepts Bitcoin. I mean, they have all of that stuff going on, but I think it's like everything, man. When people find a way that's better, they use it for a little bit and they get confident with it. And then they mention it to somebody and then that person starts to try it a little bit. And then months later, they're confident enough to talk about their friends with it. So just, you know, it takes a long time, but it's, it's like S, S curve, like an adoption curve is shaped like an S for a reason, because then eventually you have people that are like, man, this is way better. I've been doing it for two years. Double no bull crap. This is the best way to get money from the United States, you know, from my dad in the United States, instead of like, well, yeah, we're trying this new thing. I'll let you know how it goes. So a year from now, it could be a very different situation. And then the people from El Salvador are going to be talking to people in Honduras or guatemala or whatever and so like it, it like things like that just spread but still because for those of us that lived through the late 90s with the internet starting up around then and how long it took to become something that was used and used easily right it was it was painful to use the internet and dial up back then and, and now Awful. it's you can't imagine not having it like when the power goes out and your internet goes down people freak out <laughs> Oh yeah, or you're in a you don't have cell phone service. It's like yeah. you're you you're you're lost. But yeah, man, if you were on the internet and somebody called your house, you were no longer on the internet. 
<laughs> like zero control over whether or not you stay connected. Uh, so yeah, like that would be like, yeah, this is never going to work. But if it's a good idea, then all of those problems get solved. Eventually you go to DSL was the next thing. And then you go into Ethernet stuff. So, so yeah, it's, the internet was a good idea. And then all of the little things were solved around it. And then it spread to mobile phones and, and everything else. And so I can see the same thing happening with Bitcoin where, yeah, it starts out as a good idea for store value or at least just digital scarcity where it's like, hey, for the first time, you can have something that's not copy and pasted and it's validated and it's not controlled by a single group of people. It's like, that's a good idea. They'll figure out ways to use it and they'll figure out ways to make it easier for people to use. That might upset some of the people that are hardcore crypto guys that want everything to be self-custodied the hard way and bury your your backup key stainless steel box in your backyard and all that. But like, yeah, if you have it on your phone for spending money and your security is a little bit less, you know, that's probably, that probably makes sense. So I, I think the internet kind of paved the way with mobile phones and the internet. To, so Bitcoin adoption should be, should be a little bit faster. I, I'm honestly like not to skip ahead, but like for this year, I'm super curious to see what happens because normally these bear cycles, these crypto winners, they last like two years you know, after a bull run. I wonder if this is a little bit shorter because of a, of a more adoption and, and more everybody's more familiar with it. And everybody knows people that are into it now. And it's not like, oh, those weird guys that I knew in, in high school are into it. You know, that's not for me. They were, they're into random stuff too that wasn't for me. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you talk about El Salvador and them using Strike to send Bitcoin around. When we first started in crypto, sending Bitcoin from one person to the other, was painful. I mean, you had this huge, long, crazy address and trying to make sure you didn't screw up one little letter because then it was gone forever and nobody could get it was just horrible. And now Strike has created a user interface that is so much easier for people to, to send from one to the other. Once that gets easier and easier so that grandparents are able to figure it out, kind of the Venmo and PayPal-ish type interface, then it'll just continue to take off even faster. Oh yeah, no, I settled a bet on using Strike with a guy that had never downloaded Strike and that was aware of Bitcoin, but isn't like a Bitcoin guy. I just had him download the app and I sent him, I sent him the Bitcoin and set of money. So it was like super easy for him. Yeah, so moving on uh, to some exciting news, although it's also super early since it was just announced a few days ago. I'll talk probably a little bit about some of this type of thing from in the themes piece, but right now there was an announcement that Cardano is going to be doing its first ever automotive product on Cardano. And this will be based in Sri Lanka, and I think it's called eTukTuk, but the whole goal around this is to address some of the infrastructure and cost issues that have previously prevented the rollout of electric vehicles. So while it sounds exciting, there's still a lot more details to come out, but it is kind of cool that we're seeing these cryptos and blockchains being used for something other than pure currency speculation. Yeah, the, the real life use stuff needs to happen for, for the other crypto tokens because Without it, it's just trading and appreciation and riding bull and bear waves and stuff. Having like actual functional use, 
I think that'll go a long way for some credibility. So let's jump into some of the themes that we see in 2023 happening. And and maybe I'll start, and this is not one specifically about crypto, but kind of crypto as a whole. And what I what I see is regulation becoming a much more important topic. Now, in 2022, we had probably way too many collapses of different exchanges and companies and it's at the point now where I don't think the U.S. can bury their head in the sand any longer, and they're going to have to make some decisions. And I think they're trying. Uh, we're, we're getting closer to it, but we're not leading the pack like some other countries are. But I, I think in order for the U.S. to continue having a little bit of dominance in crypto, they're going to have to start doing something. So I expect a lot more discussion around that this year. Uh, yeah, and that that ties into with um, Biden doing that task force for crypto last year. A lot of those reports weren't due to roll in until the end of the year. It's the government, so they're going to take months to kind of chew through it all and and all of that. But um, that that will be that will come through. I just I, I was also looking like the uh, Gary Gensler's looking at coming out with uh, some regulation on crypto. I can't remember exactly what it was about, but they seem to like float stories out there about it, and then there's not a lot of substance behind it. Almost like they're just trying to get a feel for or get like a comment period or something where they can get some feedback. But I do, I have started listening to podcasts with some of the people that are in like a lobbyist group, like a crypto lobby group. They seem to be pretty positive about the tides turning towards crypto and towards Bitcoin, especially um, as far as like outside of Elizabeth Warren and people like that, the kind of the average Congress person, it seems to be if, if not pro bitcoin or pro crypto they're they're not anti right they're not against it they're trying to learn more it's part of it i think is a problem that you just have some of these super old people that the warren buffets aren't investing in bitcoin like the warren the elizabeth warrens aren't interested in learning about it they everything's a scam and rat poison squared and stuff like that so like good luck but like everything else just like just like people older people that are retired and wealthy they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna pass away and their spot's gonna be filled by younger people that are more comfortable with bitcoin so the same goes for congress elizabeth warren and nancy pelosi they can't be in congress forever i mean they're they're late 70s early 80s so they're going to be replaced by younger people that are more open to bitcoin that that continues to help you know, us kind of push in that direction. So, you know, time's on your side, like when it comes to, to Bitcoin and crypto. How about the interesting Warren Buffett is not a Bitcoin fan, yet he still put a billion dollars down on a crypto bank in South America. So he's still helping the right. path forward with crypto, just not buying it outright. Yeah, you can't help it. But but yeah, the regulation is going to come down. I'm curious to see kind of how that works. And I'll look at Coinbase probably because they're public Every, they seem to run the best ship of all of the exchanges. You know, when when they when I first got into it, they only had three coins available: Litecoin, Bitcoin, and Ethereum. Only Ethereum is is a, a security. Over time, they've kind of fallen into the more coins, more money situation for for exchanges. So they've added all kinds of stuff. But I think that they'd be quick to peel that away, and if they needed to, to just to be within regulations and, and remove like unregulated securities from the platform. Well, I think the big piece of news from a regulation perspective this year should be whatever happens with XRP and the SEC. Right. That was supposed to happen already. It's 
taking a lot longer, I think, for it to happen. It looks like it might be a settlement. Who knows really what's going to officially happen. But once that finalizes, that should open the doors for a lot more regulation discussion to happen. Yeah, it'll be a real precedent setter. Yep. Yep. Because like those government guys, man, they are so it's so easy for them to be like, well, the last time was like uh, the last time we declared this crypto a security. So this time we'll do the same click or stamp it, stamp it, you know, and then they can go through. But to do the first one takes forever because they can't just copy what somebody else did. I feel like they get paid by the hour, not by the project. So they yeah. <laughs> push it out. Yeah, they get paid so, no matter what. So that kind of ties into a little bit of my second theme. And I did not do a very good job organizing what it should be called. But it's kind of a, a match of a handful of things. But it's all around the decentralization and, and owning your own coins. And what I mean by that is with all the failed exchanges we've had in 2022, we're going to get away from the, the centralized exchange, I think, or a majority of centralized exchange and move more towards these decentralized exchanges, Uniswap and SushiSwap and things like that, where you have c- complete control of your tokens in your wallet and you're making an exchange and it's coming back to your wallet and not ever sitting on somebody else's exchange and you're wondering whatever happened with with that. So there's always been that question mark of the centralized exchanges. What's really happening inside of there? And is there really, uh, most of those transactions never get put onto the blockchain at all. Um, They're all done kind of behind the red curtain. So I I think that'll be a big thing, not only from for spot trading, but also for derivatives too. And part of that is going to be on the next group that I talk about. But when you're starting to see some of these other platforms that are allowing for lower fees and faster times to to clear, then it allows the derivatives market to get more involved in this space too. The, the second piece of that is, and I'm tying NFTs into this too, and it's really more so of this decentralization where instead of having the open seas of the world where you have to go to one location to buy all your NFTs, you're going to start to see more of the aggregators pop up that are reaching out to all the different platforms and seeing where the cheapest ones are and then directing you there or taking a cut somehow. But this will hopefully also help with the NFT message of getting away from just the PFPs and actually having more use cases behind NFTs that people are holding them on their own wallets rather than sitting in some sort of other location. And then the last thing for all all that is, and I'll let you talk here in a second, but is the concept of DAOs. If you haven't heard DAOs yet, decentralized autonomous organizations, but it's pretty much taking a company and making it so there's not a single person that owns it anymore. And I think we'll start to see a lot more of that happen. We're already seeing that with like SushiSwap and and other companies that are turning their entire projects into DAOs. So I think uh, that falls into the overall thing where in in the crypto winter, right, in in the bull market when things are just low, and the price is flat and boring. All the stuff that came to being, like NFTs weren't a thing three years ago. Then everybody's talking about them. My Edward Jones guy is buying Atlanta Braves NFTs during the World Series. But, and, and so like basically this thing, NFTs and DAOs, because they weren't really a thing three years ago. Mm-hmm. Just They just spontaneously arrived on the scene people didn't know what to do with them so they just started doing stuff with them as fast as they could and 
this now that things are boring and slow people that are into that stuff they can take a breath go on vacation think about kind of what what really useful things they could do and in a way that isn't just riding a bull wave and just getting all this you know when when money's just flying into the market they've actually got to earn it now so it's time to formulate good ideas build good projects do good things have real use cases because it's it's we're no longer in an environment where you know money's cheap and it just comes falling out of the sky they you got to go make people give you their money that they that they earned and oh by the way eggs are five times as expensive as they were so like not everybody's as loose to uh throw some money at, at random things they don't understand so so yeah i think this cooling off period is really nice for all of that to get a breath to take a step back build something useful gain some credibility it, I mean, gain some credibility within crypto people because they're the ones that can kind of chew through and iterate and improve. And then by the time things kind of come back on the scene and hit the mainstream again, I mean, it's hard to find news in mainstream news outlets now regarding Bitcoin and crypto. So you can kind of you're kind of in a sandbox with all these crypto people that you can kind of knock around ideas until you kind of come up with some good things. And then whenever this thing comes back, all right, we've got, yeah, you remember DAOs from years ago when it didn't make much sense. Okay, well, here's what we're doing. Yeah, I'm curious to see how that how that works and how do you how do you regulate a company that's decentralized? Like, you you know, it'd be very, that's a that's going to be a bigger challenge, in my opinion, for regulators than, than, than regulating crypto and Bitcoin. Yeah, it seems like the last few years with NFTs and DAOs have been kind of testing and trying to see how they work. And now it seems like people are starting to figure out how they work. So I expect the the adoption of those to start to happen even more as people have determined more and more use cases for a lot of that. So it should be exciting to see. Yeah, I agree. The other big thing I kind of talked about before was almost a focus on cheaper transactions. And I think that the bigger, the best way to explain that is the whole layer two concept. So from an Ethereum perspective, you've heard of a ton of layer twos that are on top of Ethereum that allow people to make transactions at a fraction of the cost and, and much faster. Matic being, being one of those, but there's a handful of other ones that also will allow the, say, Ethereum, the trust of Ethereum to be used to handle other important applications like derivatives and, and other things like that. So we'll continue to see a majority of that. And I, I know I've talked about ZK rollups and ZK proofs in the past. I think we'll, we'll start to see a lot more of that in 2023. I, I think it's just now rolling out with some projects and they're still probably a couple of years away from really mainstream adoption, but that will become a bigger key point of discussion in 2023. Yeah. And then uh, the last thing that I had was uh, there's going to be a theme of, of trying to attract more users. I mean, in order for crypto to grow, it has to find a way to attract more, more users. There's a couple of ways that I think that's going to happen. Uh, the biggest one being gaming. You're starting to see some more blockchain games coming out where people are kind of excited to play and they're getting some sort of reward, the play to earn concept and things like that, where they can keep that and trade it um, to anyone if they want to. The other big thing around that is the concept of real world assets and tokenizing those. Uh, so we're starting to see things like that and real estate being tokenized on blockchains. I'm thinking that we'll continue to see more and more of that uh, starting in 2023 and, and 
there's a long ways to go for that too. Yeah. Yeah. In the same way, I think we'll see more and more companies roll out their, the things that they were kind of talking about, like, like block and Jack Dorsey, they talked about a multi-sig wallet where you basically have on your phone and the device, you need two out of the three signatures in order to, to unlock the money. Block holds one, you hold the other two. So if you lose one, Block can bail you out. If Block gets attacked and they, they get your identity is stolen and that, that, that private key is stolen, they they can't do anything with it unless they get one of the ones that you have as well. I think you see that roll out and then people use it and then you figure out what you like and don't like and what's good about it and what's not good about it. I think for the average user, it's almost like logging into your Wells Fargo bank account. I forgot my password. Click forgot password. You can be provided that password, right? It's not in Bitcoin. If you forget your password right now, sorry, you lost all your all your Bitcoin. And so I think that those things in order for mass adoption to come around, there needs to be that like half trusted third party. Not You don't have everything, but you have enough to where we can make it a little easier. And so I think once that starts to roll out, because it's not a frenzy environment like we had two years ago, they can do it in kind of a, a, a metered way that makes sense. And then they can actually build useful tools. And then bang, other companies are going to copycat it. You know, I also, I have to think that companies that were listening to sailors, Bitcoin for corporations, and all of that stuff two years ago, last year, those corporations are still thinking like, man, A, he's pretty much right about inflation. He's pretty much right about where do you put your money? It's got to be somewhere. And so I think we'll see more corporations putting Bitcoin on balance sheets, but but there's no reason to come out and say they're doing it because it's not, they're not getting, it's not in the news. It's not a, so they can just do it quietly. Uh, it'll pop up on their, if they're a public company, it'll pop up on their quarterlies. And I think that it just won't be that big of a news maker anymore, but you'll have this steady stream of people buying in, in kind of a big way. I think Bitcoin's total market cap has gotten too small for sovereigns to really get into it right now because they'll just shake it up too much. I mean, it's the market cap's too small to make multi-billion dollar purchases. But um, but companies, you know, just putting a few million dollars here and there, kind of building a, a Bitcoin position. I think I have to think out of the hundreds of companies that listen to listen to those calls, some of them are going to actually move because... They were going to do it at 45,000. Why wouldn't they do it at 22? Nothing's changed. Well, most of those companies have some sort of planning process. So it probably takes a year or two for them to come up with a plan and then get it approved for the next fiscal year. Right. Right. So it's got to go through the board. It's got to go through yeah, legal. Yeah. You're probably spot on. I mean, it's 2023 should be that time when we start seeing more. And I think they're at the tracker out there that tracks all the public companies and who's putting Bitcoin on their balance sheets. So that might be interesting to uh, go find that and do a comparison of January of 2023 versus December of 2023 and, and how that's changed. Yeah, that and like the, the the big mining companies. Like I'm curious to see what happens with Bitcoin mining because if the price stays down here for too long, energy prices are going up. I, I, I'm just, I don't know if that's a theme for 2023, but it's something I'm looking at because some of these mining companies are going belly up because they are just built to 
get operate on loans at zero percent, collect Bitcoin, and that's their their model. Maybe sell some Bitcoin to pay off the loans, but who cares about paying off zero percent loans early, right? Just pay them off as late as possible. Um, now that it's seven percent, eight percent, every their whole business model's changed. So, mm-hmm. um, what it, I'm not sure what happens, but like hash rate. Bitcoin hash rates like all time high again this month, which I think is crazy. Like, I don't know why more and more machines are coming online. They are. So I'm not sure exactly what's going on, but something's got to happen on the mining side. And then on the flip side of that, the proof of stake and see, honestly, just see what happens to Ethereum. Like, I'm just curious to see what happens in the next 12 months now that Ethereum has more or less decided what it's going to be and the lockup periods and all that and if they move any of those lockup durations you know just to see if that kind of erodes some of the trust that people have in ethereum so and if if you have some of these big ethereum holders just become super powerful in as far as deciding on what happens to the network because i mean that's from a crypto standpoint that's not ideal to have a few users really dictate the the direction of the of ethereum so uh that's kind of i'm 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 looking forward to seeing what happens on those those few things yeah i think that'll be a really interesting story to learn more about where does ethereum go from here i mean there's still a lot more that they need to unveil with their entire roadmap but if they're going to continue to push back the unlock period of eth 2.0 at what point do people just say I'm out of here. And I think what, what you're probably going to see in relation with that is the the messaging or ad- adoption of liquid staking for Ethereum a lot more, right? So that even though you're locked, you can still do something with all those coins that you have locked. Right. Oh, cool. Well, that's uh, It should be an interesting 2023 for crypto, for sure. Excited to see what happens and probably going to be amazed how quickly it happens <laughs> and how quickly 2023 flies by. Yeah, everything that I think is going to happen slow seems to happen fast. And everything that I think is like, man, it's definitely going to happen pretty soon takes forever. Like it's it, and, and it's the same thing. Like part of me wants to say I wouldn't be surprised if Bitcoin you know, beats its all time high this year because that's the exact opposite of what you would think it would do. Right. You would think for the next year, it's just going to be flat and boring, just like it's been in previous having cycles. I kind of want to predict that it goes to like 100,000 this year because <laughs> it, it, it se- crypto seems to do what you don't expect it to do. That is always very true. It's the opposite of what everybody is expecting to do. Yeah. Cool. Well, Hal, thanks always for joining. Great conversation. Very interested to maybe follow up on these at the end of the year and let's see how accurate we were with our themes <laughs> <laughs> yeah They're throwing darts with their eyes closed yeah <laughs> see, see what we hit cool well have a great uh, weekend and we'll talk again next week all right sounds good thanks a lot thanks for journeying down the crypto rabbit hole with us if you're interested in learning more about crypto please join our private facebook group unblocking crypto it's a small community discussing new ideas and just asking questions to learn more hope to interact with you there